This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You are listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. The news media industry is undergoing seismic shifts in the wake of digital transformation and alternative business models are cropping up as journalists try to find their footing in the new landscape. Subscription-based newsletters are one such vehicle gaining traction with several available for Malaysian newsreaders. Joining me today to discuss this burgeoning business model is Emmanuel Samaratisa, founder of The Malaysianist. Emmanuel, welcome back to Pressing Matters and Happy New Year. Hi, Shazana. Always good to be here. Happy New Year to you too. So if the New Year is a time for change, you've made a big one, a somewhat big one. I mean, you spent a decade of your career working with various publications and online news portals. But this year, you've decided to really focus on a particular project, and, and that's The Malaysianist. So maybe we can start with what The Malaysianist is and um, why now? Right. So The, the Malaysianist is a newsletter, and uh, it's a newsletter investigating uh, money and power simply because uh, that's my background. Uh, I mean, I'm a business journalist, so I'm definitely familiar with uh, those two dynamics over there. So I started it uh, at the end of December 2020, and it has always been this kind of side project to see whether or not such models are viable, because there's always that, that question of whether we can um, have such a business model over here. You hear about it in America, you hear about it in the UK, elsewhere, but you know, over here, it's kind of new and refreshed. I think there's only a handful of newsletter writers as well. So it, it stemmed from that curiosity. So the reason why it's still around this year, I think, is because I felt that it, I think it has not fully run its course. Uh, I think there's still more to explore. And I think this year, uh, I've personally said it as a crunch year for me to see if it's really uh, truly viable or, or not. What's the criteria that will help you decide whether it's truly viable or not? Do you have any targets that you set up for yourself in terms of what you want the Malaysianist to achieve? Hmm. So I, I think I think the, the basic uh, target for me is, is number of subscribers. So the, the Malaysianist uh, email list uh, is divided into two categories. One, uh, one, is, one are signups and the other are subscribers. So signups is basically anyone who wants to just opt in and they get free... Uh, free newsletters every now and then, and so on. Uh, the subscribers are the ones that get the uh, bulk of the of the of the newsletter, and uh, those are just paid paid subscribers. So I guess the sign up count isn't that much of a of an issue. I guess of concern. Uh, I think the metric I'll be looking at will be subscribers, those who are paying for it. And I guess the the rule of thumb. I mean, I guess it it will change from time to time. But currently, the rule of thumb is about looking at at least a minimum of a thousand subscribers paying subscribers. So uh, I'll be looking at that number this year. Can I ask how far away from that number you are at the moment? Mm. <laughs> Currently, as we speak, we have I have about 248 paying subscribers. Okay. And that's so. after just about a year in operation. How do you plan to attract subscribers? Are you relying on word of mouth or uh, do you have any thoughts on how you're going to grow that base? Well, yeah. So I guess last year I tried experimenting with a couple of um, social media channels. Um, I still think that the best one that works for me, at least, uh, is Twitter. So, so that's one way of, of getting word out that uh, it exists and what I'm doing and so on. Uh, the other social media channel that seems to be working out for me is LinkedIn. 
Uh, I think because of the nature of the Malaysian history, I talked about uh, corporate news and, and things like that. So, so that those two seem to be working out pretty well. And then the, I guess the rest is just word of mouth, friends, family, um, whoever whoever knows me, you know. So I just just tell them, hey, I have this, um, check it out, and that's how they get opted in. Mm. What's the appeal for journalists in creating this newsletter? You know, I mean. Usually journalists, and many still are, attached to a particular platform, particular publication. For you, what's the appeal of having this newsletter? Right, yeah. So, uh, of course, I mean, I started in Malaysianist when I was working full-time, right? But, you know, there's always that need. I mean, for me, at least from my point of view, is that, um, I mean, it is a challenging industry. Uh, so, um, and I always tell every, anyone that asks me about the Malaysianist, I always tell them that, you know, it's a, it's a safe, sort of, quote-unquote, my safe house in that sense. Because, I mean, I wouldn't know what's going to happen next in the future. Um, uh, one day, I would probably have to just call it uh, quits, working as a journalist full-time, right? I'm still lucky to, to work as a journalist full-time, but maybe I would, you know, my, my luck would run out, and then what I do. So there's always this, this small corner of the internet that I can call home, and to just keep publishing, actually, because, I mean, you spend just so much time as a journalist, and you just don't want that to go to waste. And, uh, of course, um, you know, there will always be limitations as to how far I can push the needle, the boundaries, but at least that's the space. Mm. That, was, that was the appeal um, for, for doing a, studying a newsletter like that. And um, how much do you need to run operations? What do you need to keep afloat or keep this uh, project going um, every month? Mm. I, I think the trick for running a newsletter is always um, consistency. So it's, uh, it's sort of uh, establishing a schedule and you've got to be regular. Um, so uh, some of the bigger, um, some of the pros and some of those uh, who have really made it in, in, in this field, uh, they, they, have, they actually have a team to fact check, to, to copy edit, um, you know, and they have a team to, uh, to even do uh, graphics for them. So, yeah, so these things really incur cost. Uh, they, they're not cheap. Um, it's hard to really put a figure down uh, currently because it depends on the job. If you need to copy edit something that's very sensitive, then you're going to need uh, a lot of hours, you need know, a very good copy editor, and these things don't come very cheap. Mm. So I guess if you're looking at a certain ballpark figure, including hosting and such, I guess comfortably say about six to ten k a month. Mm. Yeah, but that is discounting uh, my uh, working hours and my participation in the project. Mm. Right. Okay. So that's really just for the um, setup and just making sure that you have everything running. Yeah, and also delegating certain tasks to certain people, mm. um, as opposed to just all of it just being on, on me at the moment. Mm. So at the moment, do you have that team or is it something that you outsource as and when the, when the need arises? Mm. So currently, I think there are a few people who just help me out for free. Uh, and it's a very kind souls, I guess. Uh, especially a few, a few of them uh, who are lawyers, uh, because it's always good to have those uh, second pair of eyes to sort of just check. Mm. Uh, and someone with a legal background as well. Mm. So currently, I think there are people who believe in the project and they are just helping me out for free, but, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. So That's probably not a sustainable arrangement. Precisely, it isn't. I mean, you have to be optimistic that there's a viable market for paid newsletters, given that, you know, you're giving this a a fair shot. Uh, So why do you believe that Malaysians are receptive to paying for news now, having been so accustomed to free information, yeah? Right. I mean, I don't have the, the data to back this up, but I think it's just more of a hunch because, um, uh, I mean, the, if, you, if you look at independent uh, news portals, um, uh, if, you're, if you're excluding um, entities like BFM, for example, if, if you're removing all of these guys out, you're just looking at news portals per se, 
I guess the 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 only so-called independent news portal we have we have is Malaysia Kini, right? But aside from that, we don't we don't really have a pure independent play in the media, especially with, with that kind of medium that we're talking about. Mm. Um, so I think there's a certain uh, viable niche there because you know people people want uh, independent an independent take on a lot of things that are, that's going on. Uh, in Malaysia, in I mean, whether it's current affairs, whether it's business, whether it's politics, I guess there's a public distress in media because of the political ownership of of, of media houses in general. Um, so there there is this uh, need for for independent uh, an independent voice, not necessarily someone they would agree with, but at least they could uh, they understand where this journalist is coming from. There's a certain amount of trust. You know, and therefore, uh, consuming uh, what this person puts out is, is much more easier or better. Okay, so it's a bit ironic in the sense that uh, the low public trust in perhaps established or traditional forms of media, it does create an opportunity um, for journalists like yourself uh, who... who to provide a sort of a different resource for for people who want um, a different point of view from the mainstream. Correct, correct, and and also I guess they're looking for uh, a place where it's where there's some sort of editorial integrity, and I think it's very important. What do you see as the biggest challenges to growing your readership? What are the obstacles that stand in your way to getting that one thousand um, subscriber target that you're aiming for? Right, I, I think uh, like I mentioned earlier, I guess consistency is is a big issue. Simply because uh, this isn't my my full time job, right? So it's, we're still testing out the viability of the project. So because my full time job is in journalism, um, coupled with this, so it, it's like you're on the hamster wheel all the time, and so that that uh, can create a sense of uh, burnout, and uh, you know you probably just get tired and fatigued. Uh, that affected me significantly last year. Uh, coupled with the MCO and so on and so forth, but it's just the fact that it's the same skill sets for a very long time, you know. So, so that is, I think, the main major challenge because every time a newsletter is put out, there's always uh, a certain conversion whereby you you would get, I would get a subscriber or two, or a sign up or two. So you just got to multiply that by the time of, uh, by the number of issues that you put out a year. Uh, so to hit that target, I guess it's, it's that is just the main challenge. Just consistently push out content. Okay. That's on your side, though. What about on the reader side? Do you feel that um, there's anything that would stop readers from subscribing to newsletters such as yours? I guess it depends on, on okay, I guess, firstly, if the reader feels that, you know, uh, what's being served isn't, uh, I mean, it depends on the reader, right? So, uh, and readers come in different shapes and sizes. So, I've lost some readers last year. <laughs> and one of the, reasons that they always tell me uh, or most of them told me is because it's not frequent enough. It is not regular enough. And uh, that's a very, very valid uh, point because on with online media, there is the sense of frequency. You know, you, you need to be very regular in someone's inbox or whether it's online, wherever you are. So that's one. Um, and the other one, I guess, is that is, is the value of what the newsletter is, right? So if, if the readers would think that this information that I have does not serve me uh, or whatever that I'm interested in, then they would just opt out. And it's also a fair reason as well. I'm speaking to Emmanuel Samarathisa, journalist and founder of The Malaysianist, a subscription-based newsletter on money and power. After the break, we'll discuss the themes in corporate Malaysia to keep an eye on. BFM 89.9.
If you've just tuned in, this is Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. I'm Shazana, and with me today is Emmanuel Samaratisa, a journalist and founder of The Malaysianist, a subscription-based newsletter. So Emmanuel, the last time I spoke to you about a year ago, that was around the end of 2020, and we discussed the developments with government-linked companies in the wake of the Sheraton move that year. So looking back at 2021, what would you say were the big themes or stories in the corporate world that dominated Malaysian headlines? Yeah, I guess uh, I, we began the uh, we, been, we began 2021 under emergency, right? So, so the whole politicization of corporate Malaysia uh, is, is is still was and is still a major theme, um, especially with the government-linked companies and the government-linked investment companies. Um, and I guess this is a spillover effect of uh, Muhyiddin's uh, policy. And I think even under Ismail Sabri, there's this feeling that uh, there's no dialing back on that. Um, for example, the recent um, appointment of uh, Alo Gaja and P. Rezwan Yusuf to the board of um, to the board of Bausted, right? So I think that is that, that is one major theme last year, and, and I think that affected a whole lot of us, um, and, uh, and it's still affecting us to this very day. So that's the first one. The second one is the reconcessioning of uh, Subang Airport. Uh, that uh, it's a proposal. It was a proposal that was brought by uh, Desmond Lim of WCT Pavilion, right? But he, he went under WCT. So, so that one was, was a major theme. Uh, I think it really created a huge public uh, backlash prompting a response from the government as well, right? And then the third one is uh, the audit issues uh, around Serba Dynamic Holdings. Uh, Brahat, I think that one is pretty interesting because it's, it's purely corporate Malaysia and I think uh, uh, it has captured uh, the fascin- I mean, it has fascinated a lot of people, but it's also drawn a huge number of attention, especially you know, as it's going around, uh, especially it's, 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 it's an illegal uh, tussle at the moment, right? With, mm. uh, Bursa and, yeah, with Bursa and, yeah, with Bursa and KPMG. Right. It seems like every other accounting firm is involved in this uh, story one way or another and nobody can get to the bottom of it. Um, from your interactions with the business community, what do you what do you get a sense of the um, sentiment on Malaysia's economic recovery? You know, are businesses feeling more optimism or pessimism? And, and what are the reasons given for both? Uh, I mean, as with anything, uh, uh, with anything anecdotally, you always get uh, different sides of the story. So I guess there are always there are, there are people who are frustrated with the current um, establishment, with policies, especially, and uh, they are looking elsewhere to sort of shift their production lines and to shift uh, to shift bases to to other parts of of Southeast Asia. Now this was also a theme last year as well, uh, and under the whole losing FDI kind of uh, theme and banner there. And I think the, those sentiments are, are real because, you know, people want to, when you invest in a country to make money, you know, aside from job creation and so on. So, so they're looking at, you know, Vietnam, Indonesia. Um, so, so, so that's, that's one, uh, I mean, uh, one, one side of the story. The other side, of course, uh, people who are looking at Malaysia and saying, okay, look, there's still opportunity here. Um, you know, let's try to make uh, the best of it. Uh, let's try to see if, if, if whatever the government says actually uh, makes sense, you know, it, it, does it really play out you know, as opposed to just being officials? So there's always two sides of, of the coin. And it also depends on which sector you are in. I mean, if you're in the digital space and tech space, I guess there's a lot more uh, optimism, I guess, even though there's, there's, huge, there's, there's a lot of critics, but there's certainly some optimism there. 
Um, but it just really depends. Really. Mm. So yeah. looking ahead to um, the rest of 2022, what particular themes or sectors are you going to be watching this year? Mm. Uh, I think aside from what, I, what we talked about earlier, I think for this year, I'll be looking at uh, power the power dynamics in the tech space that's one because you have uh, a lot of things coming out from the, the 5G rollout, the, the Jandela program. And I think a lot of companies are eyeing some of these uh, projects and they have actually made certain, uh, they've restructured their business to sort of uh, try and get contracts or try to sort of be, to position themselves in that direction. And I think the other area that I've been looking at is um, climate and environment, right? Because, um, you know, there's, of course, uh, standard coverage on, on climate and environmental news. But I guess we also have to look at the business and power dy dynamics over there, mm. because a lot of things uh, are happening in that space. And I think there's certainly some opportunity there for really good stories. Um, okay, Emmanuel, let's end with this question then. I'm just wondering if um, you have any particular newsletters that you modeled the Malaysianist after or that you enjoy reading that um, you'd maybe suggest those who are interested in looking at um, subscription-based newsletters to give a try if you have any recommendations, whether in Malaysia or you know, uh, regionally or abroad. Um, are there any names that uh, come to mind? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, the, these two newsletters are, are not Malaysian, um, but they pretty much um, help me in the sense of, of not, only, not only the business model, but also sort of tailors, tailor my content accordingly. Um, so they serve as like sort of inspiration, I guess. Um, so the two that, and these, are, these two I subscribe to. So there's this newsletter called Platformer. So Platformer, is run by an American journalist um, called Casey Newton, and uh, and uh, it's 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 a tech newsletter. So that's one, and the other one is run by uh, also an American, and she is a historian. Um, her name is Heather Cox Richardson. You know, and she runs a fantastic newsletter uh, that's uh, freely available, but you you subscribe to sort of comment. So if you, if, you don't, if you don't subscribe, you can't comment, but you can read it. And uh, she's pretty amazing because she runs it like every day and she has a day job. So I'm not sure how she does it. <laughs> so she's the ideal. She's like the, the goals. That's interesting that you don't pay for her content, but you do pay to comment. It, it, that's another, I suppose, motivator for subscribers to sign up for her newsletter. And I, I didn't know that. That's, that's a really interesting nugget there. <laughs> Yeah, because, because you know, she, she wanted to filter out the comments, right? You wanted to do quality comments and quality interactions. So the best way to do that, to filter out the bots and the trolls and all that, is to charge, charge a subscription so that you can comment, right? And, someone, and I think it works because the, the comments that I'm getting uh, that I see under uh, each of her posts, they're actually pretty good. I mean, it's really... It's really, really good. You know, it's not your usual right. rant or drivel. You know. You're engaging with an audience that is invested in the content you create. Okay. So, Emmanuel, sorry, I said we were going to end with that question, but we're going to end with this question instead. Yeah. Um, for those who may be on the fence about paying to um, read news, I guess, what's your, how would you, how would you counter argue that? You know, what, what, why is it important for readers to pay for what they consume? Right. Because if you don't pay for what you consume, someone else is paying it on your behalf. 
I like that. <laughs> Very succinct, but you know, you get the point of cross. If we're not paying for what we read, someone else is, and and you don't, we don't know who that someone else is, essentially. Correct. <laughs> Emmanuel, thank you so much for joining me today, and um, we will be following the Malaysia list for more stories in the future. Thanks again, I've been speaking to Emmanuel Samaratisa, founder of The Malaysianist. You can sign up to his newsletter at themalaysianist.com. More details on subscription terms there. That's all for Pressing Matters on the Morning Run today. Stay tuned for the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.